A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to What's the Crack? Uh, my name's Lindsay Hines. And I'm here today with Rob Calder and Elle Wadsworth. Hi. Hello. Hi, everyone. Yeah. yeah. So today uh, I'm hosting What's the Crack? Because what we're talking about today is the dark net and drug use on the dark net. And we happen to have a resident expert on that, which is Elle. Hi. Hi, Elle. So, um... We, we we figured it would be uh, it would be better than having Elle introduce the subject, pose the questions, and answer them <laughs> <laughs> whilst we watched on the Elle show. Yeah, <laughs> sounds a great show. Let's do that instead. Yeah, yeah, sounds good, doesn't it? So the darknet refers to the hidden parts of the internet which allow um, illegal activity to take place. And um, whilst we've only been starting to hear about them recently, they've really been around, this part of the internet has really been around for as long as the internet has. It was a big part of the illegal file sharing in the early 2000s. Um, So around that time in the early 2000s, the United States uh, Naval Research Laboratory developed uh, Tor, which is a router which conceals the location and IP address of users who download the software. So this uh, makes people anonymous, and it's now what's used by those who want to access the dark net. I've come up with a really good comparison for the dark net. Uh, so for anyone who's seen the TV show Stranger Things, we all have, um, the dark net is basically the upside down of the internet. Because if you're there, nobody can tell where you are. Uh, it looks like the world or the internet that we're used to, but there's uh, scarier things there or some scarier things there than what we would get on the usual internet. And the current form of it came out of US military research into espionage. So for people who study drug use, uh, the dark net suddenly became of interest in 2011 when uh, Silk Road was exposed. So this is a drug market that was on the hidden web and it was uh, an expose of it was produced by Gorka, um, RIP Gorka. So people were buying illegal drugs anonymously through a global marketplace that resembled eBay or Amazon. So things that we're very used to seeing. So Silk Road combined technologies that are used to hide uh, user activities such as Tor and also combined that with technologies which allowed individuals to make purchases with um, Bitcoin. So that's a form of currency which has no identity and which is digital. So even though the original Silk Road was closed down, people are still using similar markets to buy drugs, uh, which is part of what we'll be talking about in this episode. Uh, Elle, do you know much about these markets? No. Not much at all? <laughs> what, how I just, I just. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, yeah, it did, Yeah, it, it was exposed through Gorka, which then led people to find out what these hidden markets is, were. Is Gorka a person or a thing? Or a... Is, Gorka's a news website, like, a, it was a really, I don't, yeah, so Gorka's a news, it was a news website, which we still okay. got shut down in a massive scandal, really. Oh. 
so yeah, as Lindsay said, it is uh, has a similar way of using such as uh, eBay and Amazon more so because it has a, a review system. So uh, you have vendors, you have buyers, and when you purchase something or you sell something, you can review your vendor on the stuff that is being sold, on the purity, on how fast it arrived, on its stealth, which meaning like how um, stealthily it arrives to your door. So some things are sold either in, uh, I guess, CD cases or plain packaging or uh, yeah, basically so that the policeman or uh, policeman, postman, so the postman can't find out what it is. So packages with like drugs written yeah. over the top would get low stealth rating. Yeah, exactly. Very low stealth rating. Or things where you could actually feel the pills. Uh. <laughs> that would also get low stealth rating. So people get ranked on that. And, you know, as a usual system of one stars to five stars. Um, and from that, you can actually, other users of the crypto markets can see. If I want grade four heroin, I can just go onto the crypto markets, see who has that, see who has the highest rating, and go for there. So the actual crypto markets are are built on reputation, and it kind of self-regulates the crypto markets because it means that the really terrible vendors get pushed out, and the really good vendors get pushed to the top. Uh, but there are flaws in that plan as well because it's wonderfully anonymous, meaning that anyone can set up an account and build up that reputation and then then perform an exit scam to um, steal all the bitcoins or cryptocurrencies. So exit scamming would be to collect all the bitcoins from the users and then not send any of the products. Can, can some of these uh, vendors just review their own products uh, like a million times? They can, but you must have made a sale. So so vendors can set up their own accounts and individually buy drugs off themselves uh-huh. and then rank, you know, rank themselves. So yes, but it's more labour intensive than just going, yeah, five star, five star, five star, five star, five star. It's not like on Amazon where you go on and someone's written a book and there's four reviews and, and it's obvious they're relatives of the person who wrote the book. Yeah. So crypto markets is another term for a marketplace that can be found on the dark net. Um, so it's also called, or maybe more frequently called, a dark net market. I was just going to, I guess, say a bit more about Silk Road and the progression of how it's um, got to where we are now. So Silk Road closed down in 2013, but then Silk Road came up in its place. And Silk Road 2 came up in its place. Um, and more crypto markets came up. So as one came down, more crypto markets went, this is a great idea, more people are coming to the market, there's actually loads of space for this. So more crypto markets came. Um, And then in 2014, across the global group of police enforcements run by the FBI called Operation Onimus, um, went to shut down loads of crypto markets so they infiltrated it they became the workers within these crypto markets and they managed to shut down about i want to say eight crypto markets so it was like oh rejoice all these have gone down and within about a week loads more came up and nothing's changed i mean the good point of it is the fact that they now have like i guess insight into how it works better but it just meant that the markets have actually evolved and they found different ways to get around it and they found uh, different uh, ways to i guess progress get it better but the one thing that it has done the fbi and what this taking down of operation anonymous has done is lower trust 
because trust is a massive factor in the crypto markets because everyone's anonymous. So there's a level of trust that has to be there. Like, I trust you to send my package. I trust you to pay me. I trust that what you're saying is 90% purity. I trust what you're doing this. And I trust the, the administrators of the crypto markets are not going to run off with my money. It's That's what they did because now one of the, there was an inside job. Mm. So. so now because of that inside job, people don't trust that the people they're buying it from aren't going to shop them in or that they're going to deliver on time. So they've lost that kind of trust. No, there is still stuff. Uh, there is still that trust there, but there's other things in place for it, such as there's now a scheme. I don't know if it, even if it's progressed even further than this when I was doing my research, uh, but there was there's a scheme called the multi-signature escrow, which means you have your buyer, you have your vendor, and you have your uh, crypto market administrator. And two out of three of those parties have to sign off that the deal has actually been done before the funds are released. Yeah, so it, it means that more people are involved to make sure that everyone's, what they're saying is true. So there, there are ways to, that they've gone around the trust factor, but there's still, people are quite still sceptical. And I guess either that community moves from one um, crypto market to another, or you don't keep your funds in that crypto market, because <clears throat> you can keep like a balance, like a little purse. Like PayPal. Like PayPal in the crypto market, and that's when the crypto markets can steal the money because if they're still in the crypto market and you're not you're not looking at it you can they can take it but if you take your money out of your paypal purse then they can't take it so these are the measures that people have put in or not buying from the same crypto market all the time moving around yeah it's uh, i guess like it's economic um it's economic forces that happen in uh, in in regular markets um, driving things to be more reliable, cheaper, higher purity, like like the fella on the TED Talk was saying, isn't it? It's, <laughs> yeah, reference the TED Talk. Reference well. the TED Talk. Jamie yeah. Bartlett. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> really, um, really good. Um, <laughs> yeah, because it's the customer service that brings it up. As in, you, yeah. you, you strive to give a product that's 90% purity because you want that reputation. Yeah. And you want to look like you're doing well. Yeah, and it, I guess from an economic term, it, it removes some of the barriers to trade. So when you're <clears throat> buying off the hypocritical person on the street corner, um, there are barriers to trade because there's probably only one seller, there's probably only one set of goods and there's only one price and your negotiating position is usually fairly weak. Um, whereas if you have lots and lots of choice, the regular economic principles of, uh, of supply, demand, trust, improvement of service... Um, and economising can, can can start to take place, and that that seems to be what's happening with security as as much as um, uh, quality and uh, cost. So, oh, you um, conducted an interview to hear a bit more about what's happening in different crypto markets on the dark net. I did. I spoke to Daniel Moore from the War Studies Department at King's College London, and he uh, well, he'll tell you about what he did. But we're basically talking about all markets on the dark net and what. What happens there? Mm. Okay, so here I'm now here with Daniel Moore from the War Studies Department. Daniel, could you start by saying what work you do, what your PhD is? Sure. Um, so, hello, I'm, I'm Daniel Moore. My, my PhD is about uh, actually something a little bit unrelated. I do cyber warfare, that's my focus. So, I look at the way that nation states are going to wield offensive cyber capabilities in actual conflicts. But in my background, I also did my master's at King's, and I did the Terrorism, Security, and Society program. Um, and my master's thesis there was about charting the dark net. Okay, so in a, broad, in, in a broader way, how is how, or how have you found that the hidden web is used, functionally, not practically? 
So when, when we wrote our article, uh, Crypto Politique, last year, that's exactly what we were looking to map. So it's impossible to look at every website that exists within that darknet on purpose. That's part of the architecture. But we sort of made a best effort at mapping out every website that would be conceivably accessible by somebody from the outside. So first of all, functionally, most of the people who use, who use the darknet actually don't use it to access websites within. So all those dot onions actually represent a tiny fraction of what we see uh, stuff like Tor used for. The most common use scenario is actually just using Tor to get on the regular internet. Um, but, that, but that regular traffic actually is useful to hide all types of traffic, including the people who want to access websites within Tor. So those hidden services which is a technical term for, for Tor, which means hosting a service or a website within Tor, um, is about two to five percent of everything that happens on Tor. So that's one subsection. Once you start actually looking at hidden services, you find out that a lot of them aren't even websites, and a lot of them are just nothing. They're just empty. So when we went about this mapping it functionally we wanted to first strip away all the stuff that we don't care about or is outside our scope which is all that once you actually look at how many active websites you have inside tor you find that it's it's mostly a few thousands and even within those few thousands most of them are either tiny or inactive or have barely any content at all so i can say that based on what we've seen back then um, and it seems to be still very much the case today, you can divide a lot of the traffic or a lot of the behavior on those sites into a few broad categories. One of which is completely legitimate. Some real companies have um, a way of accessing them through Tor. So one of the biggest examples for that is Facebook. They have a .onion site that allows people to connect with even greater security to Tor, which is great. Um, and one of the reasons why it's great is because Tor doesn't just offer you anonymity, it also offers you an additional layer of authenticity from the other side. So you know that when you connect to uh, Facebook's, uh, Facebook's Onion site, that it actually is Facebook with a greater degree of reliability. So some, some companies do that. Uh, a lot of journalists have some type of presence there as well in, in secure drop sites. Uh, allowing people to submit anonymous tips with greater confidence as well. So that's one use. Um, there are also a lot of information repositories, just people who want to share information and, and either uh, ideologically believe in in Tor as a means of spreading information securely and without being it being able to be challenged by any national sovereignty, um, or just people who think it's cool. Um, so what we saw back then is that actually a quite a big degree of the content that we found was what we called illicit content, which that was, first, so first of all, we want to know how much, um, which varies according to your estimates, but it was over half, so that raises a few questions. Um, but second of all, we were interested in, in looking at what that content is, what type of illicit behavior do you see? And what we found, was a host of, of categories which are in the article ranging from types of, of financial crime to transactional marketplaces to a lot of actual communities who bind around illicit topics. Um, and 
Yeah, most prominent or most active, I believe, were the marketplaces, which were primarily around drugs, but not just some weapons, some other stolen goods, like you know, even stolen iPhones and stuff like that. Uh, it it varies, or stolen accounts. And um, so, I guess because it is quite a small uh, subsection with all the, uh, the the hidden services. Yeah. Do you think the media? Um, I guess, blows this up a bit larger than what it actually is? That's a more difficult question than it, than it initially appears. So I, I think the coverage is often problematic because it often highlights just the uh, illicit aspects of, of the darknet or of Tor. And as I said, it, it represents a tiny fraction of it, but it does cast a pretty big shadow on the rest of the network um, because uh, the, the people who maintain and develop this project are very ideologically inclined against any type of self-censorship or, or uh, any determination on what's allowed or, or not allowed on these networks. And at one point, and this is the point that we were trying to make in the article, should we ask ourselves as a society, do we have a line beyond which we want to say something or whether or not technology is mostly good or mostly bad? Um, we didn't answer that question particularly. but we felt like that question was in order. Um, whereas a lot of the media coverage immediately assumes that this is bad and should be treated as bad. We say this is good and this is bad, and the bad really throws a huge shadow on the good. Maybe we should ask ourselves, are we okay with this or not? Um, so there is a lot of drugs on the darknet, but there's a lot of drugs anywhere. Um, and I don't particularly think that the presence that we see on darkness today represents any significant uh, you know, fraction of the actual drug trade. I don't even think it represents the... A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The worst of it. Uh, if anything, in some cases, I think it reduces some of the problems because if you buy... Um, and I'm not advocating this by any way, but from a risk perspective, if you buy from verified sellers who are known to not poison their customers, uh, th there's a greater chance that you won't buy something off a corner in the street and either get stabbed or, or buy something terrible that will poison you. Um, so, you know, the, there is one aspect of reduced risk, maybe. Uh, again, this is not my area of expertise, but, but this is just a conversation that perhaps is worthy to have. Uh, they do, in some of these markets, also have sections on how to either consume, purchase, or manufacture things safely, quote-unquote. Um, so maybe you can make the argument that, again, this is a risk reduction thing. Um, I think it's easy to paint this in the worst light possible because this is, it just, it's easy to show, right? It's right there and, you, and anybody can access it. So if you shine a light on this, it looks pretty bad, but not worse off than what you see in some corners and some areas in, in cities. Yeah. When Silk Road got um, shut down, more popped up. And Silk Road 2 popped up. Yeah. Then all they got shut down, just more sprang up in its place. Yeah. It, is it just going to get larger? I don't know if it's going to get larger, mm -hmm. but I think it's always going to be there. Yeah. And it may not be tour tomorrow. I assume that considering the way we're headed to right now, you're always going to have 
something. You can't hope to make this whole thing go away. Anonymous communities, at least the way the internet is architecture now, are always going to be a thing. Um, whether or not it's going to increase, I don't know. I, I think that also depends on the global climate. If you're going to have uh, uh, more governments outlawing aspects of free speech or making more consensual stuff illegal suddenly, maybe you're going to see more communities form out of different topics as well that were previously okay and now are suddenly wrong. Uh, I don't know, but I, I can almost guarantee it that you're going to have some form of something like this. Mm. Um, and it may be on a different system, it may have a different name, it may use a different software, like different pieces of software, but it's something is going to exist. Great, thanks Daniel. Um, so let's talk a bit more then about the dark net and drug use, because this is really an unprecedented situation for drug use. We, you know, it's always drug uses. Uh, is it though? Well, I mean, it's drug use has always been illegal and prohibited well the majority of drugs in our society so this is a now there's always been barriers to buying drugs because like rob was saying earlier because there's a person on the street corner who's potentially difficult to access and potentially has a limited supply yeah i'd say that's an unprecedented situation there's well the um the open trade i think which is what we're seeing on the on on the dark net there are i mean it is unique certainly but there are precedents there are uh, say pre nineteen, uh, well, I want to say misuse of drugs act. Um, there was potentially an open market, but of course there wasn't the same availability. There weren't the same international routes of trade, so the the use of drugs was very very different. But it was still an open market. You could still uh, get things without the legal those legal barriers to trade that have defined drug markets now. Um, so I think there are some precedents to it. I mean, it's a very very unique situation, but I think I think there are. Um, it, it's not the first time that there have been open drug markets. Well, that's true, but I think that, well, all internet buying is kind of unprecedented. Like, Amazon yeah, is unprecedented yeah. for shopping. Like, it's the difference between going down to mm. your supermarket and wandering around and having basically everything in the world suddenly open to you to be delivered to your house. So that is unprecedented for drug use Can I also well. say that um, it's actually, as much as we're talking about it as a, as a market, it is still minimal compared to the global drugs illicit market. So, like, I think... Uh, Rand Corporation did a recent study and on the crypto markets that they used the uh, turnover was 12 million euros and they estimated that the all of the crypto markets was about 22 million euros whereas um, and this was crypto markets contacting the whole world whereas the illegal drugs market in just Europe with all of it, in, not not the crypto markets, everything is twenty four billion euros. Yeah. So it's still a tiny proportion. So even though we're talking about that, we can get everything, and it's amazing, and you know it, it's, it's such this access and it's unprecedented. It's still quite small. But in a way, isn't that because what's being sold on Silk Road is being sold for cheaper than it is on the street? Like I, the research that I've been read about it mm. from people is people saying you're getting. Uh, a higher quality product for cheaper than it would be to buy on the street. So potentially, um, that explains part of the difference in the, the oh, in the quantity of measuring uh, it by yeah. So cash. if um, so if mm. you know if the market in Europe is estimated as whatever you just said twenty four billion. Yeah, but it's much the market on Silk Road is, or on the Darknet is smaller. It could be because people are selling it for cheaper, but they've got a more secure way of selling it so they're more certain of their profits. There's also an issue with the fact that you can kind of only see listings, you can't see what's actually being sold. Mm -hmm. So this is a very, an, an estimate. I mean, it's brilliant that you can see a part of the supply side that we've never been able to research or see before, but you are limited to seeing what's 
advertised rather than the actual exchanges going mm-hmm. through. I mean, you can, you can see what, you know, the reviews and stuff, but still it's not perfect. There because was... everything is so anonymized ah, and yes. so hidden. There, there was some research from, um, from Australia, and Australia has a, a particular um, uh, culture around using um, the dark net. Um, and they they surveyed a hundred psycho psychonauts. Psychonauts, why not? Yeah, yeah, it must be must be the same one. Uh, so they surveyed a hundred, and only nine percent of those had used um, uh, a crypto market in the last year, and that was primarily for things like um, MDMA, LSD, and cannabis. And I think when you're talking about the amount of uh, kind of cash flow between these things. If you have this proportion of users who are using it for kind of who tend to be younger, who tend to be using it for recreational drug use, I could define a psychonaut for you if you want. <laughs> I think definitely define a psychonaut because people get me like, "What's a psychonaut?" So a psychonaut is a drug user that is experimenting to alter their uh, change of change of state of mind, I guess. So it's experimentation, recreational experimentation, and looking for those changes yeah. and documenting them. Yeah. So the point uh, the point was so you've got this small amount of, of say psychonauts or, or recreational users um, who are using it in that way and and say they might be spending something like say fifty quid a week or something on on recreational drugs if they're if they're using them once or twice a week um, whereas you can have a single user of say crack and heroin who will be using uh, two hundred pounds a day every day of the week. Uh, and they're much less likely to be going uh, going online and ordering things via crypto markets for a number of reasons, which I'm sure we're we're going to kind of come in come into. But that you kind of think that that's surely what's driving a lot of the illicit drug market. I see. Yeah. yeah so yeah. the research is, is showing that it is the more recreational than problematic users because they've got time because it still takes time to get to the, the barriers to get on the darknet is you know quite high you've got to download tour you've got to get bitcoins you've got to then set up a pgp which is a protective like um email service and then you've got to buy it and then you've got to get the 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 vendor to post it and then get it through it's, it's a really long time so if you're if you've got a dependence to heroin and you need that now you will not be using the you will not be using the dark net yeah. you'll be you'll be the planners or the ones that are more um computer savvy and you know, arguably, the younger uh, population. And another research paper said that the majority, uh, you know, the average was twenty-two years old, and eighty-two percent of them were male. Uh, you know, come that. and a lot of people that or that they've served ages in the darknet have, uh, you know, university level degrees. So I guess because again, you've got to have that kind of technological savvy to get on there. Something which I read, um, which was a qualitative study of people who are using the darknet, was that there are dependent users, so people who are dependent on heroin, and they're like using the darknet to manage their withdrawal. And they were some of them were reporting, or like had reported on the forums, like people who sell the drugs to them. Uh, if they're aware that they're like trying to use it not to go into their withdrawal, they prioritise them over other customers and things like that. So there are obviously dependent users out there who are finding it. Yeah. Useful. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess yeah. it's yeah. Mm-hmm. You've or you and mm-hmm. I guess it's the same quality. I guess if you're using the same vendor all the time, you know that this will keep me from withdrawal. This will keep me from mm-hmm. withdrawal because it's the same vendor. It's the same you know same stuff instead of going to the street corner yeah. and. And interestingly, like they were saying that the dependent users, uh, you know, prioritize different things in their ratings of quality compared to those who are more recreational users. And I suppose that's again because. Uh, different like recreational users looking to get more of a pleasure from a drug whereas dependent users looking to kind of maintain uh, their addiction and keep away of drawers so that was also that kind of I think also comes into when we're talking about rating quality that different people using the dark net are going to have different perceptions of what quality is and it also highlights kind of that difference between different um, 
use patterns of dependent users. So you might have someone who knows exactly how much uh, of what purity heroin they need for a week for their current um, usage and, and is organised enough to do that. And then you've got dependent users who are who have just nicked a laptop and need 100 quid and need to score this afternoon uh, for whom the darknet and its, um, its postal delivery system is not going to be much use. Yeah. So, yeah, so I guess working in addictions and addictions research, I think what interests me about the darknet is if people have got suddenly a a load of access to drugs, like what are going to be the harms of that and what's the effect of that Mm. on people's drug use? And so one study which was looking at only a tiny sample, like 17 participants who they managed to recruit from within the darknet and users of the darknet, they were looking at their trajectories of use, so how much um, they were using over time, you know, just self-reported. But they were finding that a lot of them, uh, when they got onto the darknet, rapidly increasing their use, but then the majority of people found that that really trailed, tailed off and that, you know, they kind of had this like, oh my God, there's so much, like so many options and just like, you know, buying loads and loads and then because partly... So there's a novelty thing. Yeah, the novelty potentially the novelty factor, yeah. And okay. then that when this kind of interest had been satiated, people's use was really declining. Like and a kid um, in a candy store getting sick. Exactly the metaphor, the like example, which I think the title of the paper has. Oh really? Oh no, the title of the paper is something like... If bakery, you, cake in a bakery? Yeah, cake, if you if you love cakes and you live above a bakery... <laughs> Um, but and also that, but a lot of, but I guess on the other hand, that a lot of people were trying many new drugs, and that there were a small minority of people who were, who'd never bought drugs like from their friends or from dealers, but were mm. now like, oh, Silk Road is here, I'm going to go on it and buy some stuff through that. And those people were kind of trying different drugs to what they had. But there was, like you're saying, that the majority of people are using cannabis and MDMA. They were finding within that that there was really kind of people regulating their use, like people who would buy LSD or cannabis would also say, but I would never buy heroin or crack or anything like that. Like, they mm. kind of drew the line there. So it's interesting to me just how mm. you see people, like, regulating their own drug use and that not everyone is... If you give everyone the option of everything to go into, it doesn't mean that everyone suddenly goes start shooting up heroin, like, 20 times a day. Like, you know, people make different decisions about yeah. their use. So, so I guess that the people using the dark net that the research is conducted on um, who are buying drugs on it... Are quite an unusual sample to what we usually see about drug dealers because of them being younger uh, potentially more educated um, able to interact with technology and as is my point which I'm trying to make that they might they're likely to be people who aren't experiencing extreme harms because you know they're not um, if they're still able to engage with uh, using the internet great for research purposes as well so good and because we have we can see this as in it was one amazing right when i was researching the the dark nets because you just got into this world that was i guess how it's also been described in research as like you can apply it to a a possible post-prohibition world like is this how it's going to be is this how you know is this how we can use it and this is what it's like without prohibition because it is still prohibited and there's still things that people won't do because of the risks such as um vendors shipping internationally because you have a different postal service when you go international rather than domestic so your risk is heightened when you go internationally so there are different things that people will abide by because of the laws but it is super interesting for research it really is. and also yeah. what's interesting because what we often miss in research is that we look at the people who have harms or we look at the people who've come into treatment and they're the populations that we study around drug use because it's difficult to recruit and to find people who are you know using drugs without harms because where do you ca- where do you find them if they're not in the hospital and they're not in the treatment sector it's more it's more difficult for us to recruit them in in a kind of unbiased sampling way because the prevalence the percentage of use is so low in the population so it is really interesting to see like drug use patterns mm. as they are but mm. what i was looking at with my research was um speaking of drug markets and seeing how they move was new psychoactive substances and we were 
Um, and we were looking if uh, listings or advertising uh, new psychoactive substances increased on the darknet as uh, laws changed around the world. So as we were focusing on the UK, because the recent psychoactive substances ban, which uh, banned the sale uh, of those uh, substances, to see whether we obviously cannot see whether those shops went onto the darknet, because again, everyone's anonymous. But we were looking to see if uh, availability increased and can, and and we, we were just saying that as all uh, availability on the uh, crypto markets everything was going up so you know it was covered in this world of everyone trying to use crypto markets and it being more accessible and more used interesting so you can see you can you can actually use it to see mm. i mean not precisely but you can see how drug markets are changing mm. great so i think that's everything i, I was just going to say that there was um um, so there was some really interesting research, uh, not research, it was a policy recommendation document which we'll post a link to, uh, uh, which we'll post a link to. Um, and one of the things that they were saying, this matches the kind of proliferation of novel psychoactive substances where the law gets uh, tighter to, to ban things and you get this proliferation of things that then maintain legality. Um, and this has kind of arguably happened online. So as, as security has got tighter, like you were saying earlier, Al, the crypto market technology has, has increased and things have got more more secretive. And there was this there was a suggestion that crypto markets should be less aggressively pursued because at the moment they're semi visible. And so you can then, as law enforcement agencies, work hard to identify the really uh, terrible things that are being sold in the darknet, things like um, child pornography, guns, weapons, things like that, that. You can work with that, but the more you pursue the crypto markets as a whole, the more elusive that technology will become and the less able it is to be regulated. So if it's in kind of partial sight, it can be um, it can still be used, um, whereas the fear was if there was another big bust like the Gorka thing where eight markets go down, that the level of technology for everything then steps up and everything becomes harder to uh, uh, to police internationally. Operation Onimus. Operation Onimus, Is yeah. it Onimus or Ominous? O-N-Y-mus. Great. So hopefully that's been an interesting introduction for everyone on the Darknet. So something which um, is a you know, a very modern phenomenon which is uh, producing alterations in the way that drugs are bought and is also um, producing great opportunities for study for us as researchers and potentially more so in the future. Um, But again, with a lot of complicated legal and technological uh, issues around it. So thank you, Rob and Elle, for being on the podcast, as ever. Thanks for hosting, Lindsay. You're welcome. Happy to be here. (laughs) Can I have my job back next week? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you can. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. Um, as ever, please follow us um, at What the Crack Pod on Twitter. Um, get involved and recommend us to your friends and subscribe. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Bye.